Well, Lord, we continue to thank You and praise You and as we gather together as Your people, Lord. And thank You now. We have the opportunity to gather together around Your Word, to hear from You, great God. And I know, Lord, You have a Word for each and every one of us, great God. You know all the circumstances, situations of our life. And so we open our hearts to hear from You right now. We ask this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Well, church, we're really blessed to have Reverend Neil Bernard coming to share the Word with us this morning. Neil is a gifted Bible teacher, a pastor, a lecturer, part of our church family here at Bridgman as well. So I'd love it if you could make Neil feel really welcome. I know he can't hear you, but put your hands together. Welcome Neil as he comes to bring God's Word to us this morning. Why don't you do that right now? Thanks, Nathan. Faithfulness. Don't you love people who are reliable, dependable, faithful? When they say that they're going to be at a certain time, a certain place, there they are. Warm greeting, smile on their face, perhaps even with your favourite cup of coffee in hand. I'm sure we've all had experiences sometimes where that hasn't been the case. Other people have let us down or we've let other people down as well. I was invited to a Bible school principals conference at Yamanakako, which is at the bottom of Mount Fuji in Japan. And organising the flights, I discovered that one of the board members of the organisation that I worked with, that he was flying into Narita Airport on the same day. I was going to fly in from Germany. He was coming from Australia. And so I said to Ivor, what time do you arrive? And he had a look on his ticket and he said it was about 9.30 in the morning. And I said, well, I fly in at 3.30 in the afternoon. Never been to Japan before. Don't speak Japanese except for Yamaha and Kawasaki. I said, how about the two of us meet up? The two of us meet up, we can travel together, we can go down to Yamanakako, that security of knowing that somebody else is with you and that uh, you're not alone. So I was all set. Just before I left for Germany, I remember contacting Ivor and saying to Ivy, remember, 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 you're going to wait for me, wait for me at Narita Airport. Yes, Neil, yes, Neil, he said, I'm going to be there. Well, you know what happened. I turned up at 3.30 on that afternoon, the airport, looked around, searched the airport, no Iva to be found. Don't know if you've been in that situation where you're in a strange country, you don't know the language, you've just arrived, what was I to do? Well, the options were to stay at the, ho- stay at the hotel at the airport, probably $175 that would cost me. Or the second option I thought was to get as far as I could down to Yamanakako. I like that challenge. So I went to the information desk and I asked the young lady there, this is the address that I need to get to. How do I get there? And in broken English, she told me that I needed to go downstairs to catch the fast train from Narita Airport. I would then change trains uh, to a, onto a different uh, domestic train uh, uh, network and then I would go to a different station and she was writing the stations down in Japanese, their names, and then I needed to go upstairs, cross the road to the bus station, catch a bus, and then that would take me down to Lake Yamanakako. So I set off. Here I am in Japan, never having been there before, on this fast train. And like the trains in Brisbane, where they had the station names going across the top, but of course this time all in Japanese, I'm looking at the characters that she's written down, thinking, is that the station? Is that the station? Well, fortunately, a guy who was next to me, standing next to me, he could see I was doing this. And so then he turned to me and he he did this with his fingers, three. And I said, Three more stations, three more stations, and he nodded. And I thought, yes, that's great. 
So three more stations I hopped off, went upstairs, needed to buy another ticket now. So here I am trying to buy a ticket. Somebody else who was behind me saw that I had some Japanese currency, some money, and so they were able to help me buy a ticket. Downstairs onto the next platform, catching the next train. Getting pretty dark now. It's getting close to about oh, 7.30, 8 o'clock, I suppose. Got to that station. I knew with the station I needed to hop off. Went upstairs, crossed the road, went to the bus station thinking maybe, maybe there's a chance there's still a bus left. And when I went up and asked the lady, she said, yes. She said, there's one more bus, the last bus to Yamanakako. It leaves in 10 minutes. That's where you need to be. I thought, how good is this? How good is this? I've made it nearly all the way there. Caught the bus, sitting on the bus. I remember going down the freeway. Time is getting on now. It's probably getting close to nine o'clock or something like that. And then stopping at Yamanakako. But I only had the address and the phone number. I didn't know where it was. Well, another young girl on the bus, she had a mobile phone. I didn't have my mobile phone with me. And so I asked her, I said, could you please phone this number for me? Which she did. And when she'd finished uh, dialing the number, then she gave me her phone. Who should answer the phone? Ivor, Ivor. Ivor, I said, it's Neil. He said, Neil, where are you? Narita Airport. I said, no, no, I'm at the bus station at Yamanakako. How did you get there, he said. I said, it's a bit of a long story. He said, well, that's only about 10 minutes from where we are. He said, a couple of us have walked down and meet with you. And of course, I'm thinking, Ivor, Ivor, you've put me through this stress and this pain, Ivor. Then he arrived. Neil, how did you get here? I said, well, I was able to work things through. He said, oh, we thought that you would still be back at the airport. I said, Ivor, remember, remember, I asked you about three times. You promised me that you wouldn't leave me at the airport alone. What happened? He said, well, I met up with somebody else. And they said to me, Ivor, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm waiting for Neil. And they said, don't wait for Neil. He'll look after himself. Come with us, come with us. That's how I felt anyway. Maybe there have been occasions when you've been waiting for somebody. Somebody hasn't turned up. Faithfulness, faithfulness. The definition of faithfulness is the commitment to someone or something, the quality of being loyal. And I like to think that faithfulness can be assessed by the answers to two questions. Is what you say true and do you do what you promise? Is what you say true and do what you do you do what you promise? The word faithful is not really used today of a person. We don't usually say that someone is faithful. We might say a dog is faithful. We might have had an old car and said, oh, that old car, she's faithful. She always starts first time. But faithful isn't usually a word that we normally associate with a person. Yet in Scripture, Scripture tells us that God is faithful. God is reliable. God is dependable. God shows his faithfulness, not the based on who we are, but based on his character. Because what God says is true and what God says he will do, he does. 
Here's some verses from Psalm 89, some selected verses. Verse one, the psalmist, obviously overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God, writes these words. He says this, I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth, I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. Next verse, verse two. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. Verse five. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Verse eight. O Lord, God of hosts, who is as mighty as you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. And verse 24, this is the Lord speaking. My faithfulness and love, steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. Of course, there's that great verse from Lamentations 3, 23, and perhaps many of you would remember the chorus that we'd sing that goes along with these verses. Interesting, Lamentations, a book about sorrow, but in this very book, right, the writer writes these words. He says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Here the writer is saying that the Lord's mercies are limitless. They are new every morning because God is unchanging. On a daily basis, the Lord gives his steadfast love and divine mercies. Knowing this was one of the most important lessons that the children of Israel needed to know as they were led by God into the wilderness the faithfulness of God. Having been brought out of Egypt, the Lord led them into the wilderness. The quickest route would have been by the coast, which would only have taken them perhaps 10 to 12 days. No, the Lord led them into the wilderness. I think probably because they were slaves in Egypt. That's all they knew was slavery. All they knew every day was to get up and to be commanded what to do. You are to do this, you are to do that. There was no self-initiative. And so if they'd come across an army that was greater than they were, they would fear they would run for their lives and probably back to Egypt because it would have been such a quick journey. But instead, God leads them into the wilderness to learn this valuable lesson that they could trust, that they must trust, that they should trust in Him. It's estimated that the children of Israel numbered somewhere around about two to two and a half million people. And that means that in the wilderness, God needed to feed them every day. God needed to supply water for two, two and a half million people every day. That's a lot of water. Scripture tells us, of course, that the Lord provided them with manna. We're not sure exactly what manna is, but the Bible describes it as the corn of heaven or angel's food. And God's provision to uh, the children of Israel was on a daily basis. Each morning they would awaken from their tent, step outside and have to go and get breakfast, lunch and dinner, searching for that manna that had arrived overnight. They couldn't survive on old manna. It went stale quickly. They couldn't store manna up. 
for the future because it would go stale. Every day, except for the Sabbath, that is, because there was a double portion of manna beforehand, they were to go and search for food. Let me read to you some scriptures from Exodus chapter 16, verse 13. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning and it bred worms and became foul. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Think about it, every morning, except of course for the Sabbath, for 40 years, the Lord supplied manna to some two, two and a half million people. That's a lot of manna. I also love this scripture verse, which says that the Lord provided water and he also made provision for them so that their clothes did not wear out and their shoes did not wear out. That's extraordinary. Deuteronomy chapter eight. The Lord humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The lesson had to be learned in the wilderness that then they would carry over and take into the promised land that God is faithful. He can be trusted. I'm certain that you probably have a story of God's faithfulness in your life. Those moments where you wondered what was going to happen next and God provided. After leaving Ashgrove Baptist Church as their youth and young adults pastor, I had about six months where the only income I had was preaching once on a Sunday at Gympie Community Church. I'd get up early on a Sunday morning, drive up to Gympie, preach for them. They'd give me the preaching fee. I think it was about $100. And then I would drive home. And that was the only money that I had for the week. Of course, I had bills to pay, a mortgage to pay, food to buy. And I started to see my savings going down. Well, mentally, I'd said to the Lord, Lord, When it gets to about $2,000 in my savings, the next plan will be I'll need to pack everything up, move back with mum and dad, move back into my old bedroom at their place and I'll rent out my unit. That's the only way that I can survive financially. So mentally I had this figure of about $2,000 in my head. Well, my bank account got less than $3,000. Now I'm starting to think, What things shall I take first? What things should I leave to last? What about the big furniture items? But inside, I had this kind of conviction, this strong conviction that that wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. But I thought, who would give me a job, just a short-term job? Who would pay uh, for me to be able to be employed? Then the phone call came from Radio 96.5. Neil, we're going to have a temporary transmission come up. 
We're wondering if you would come in and be our production manager for about six weeks and we'll pay you. There it was, God's faithfulness, God's provision. I never got to that $2,000 limit that I'd set in my own mind. Scripture tells us of one man being unfaithful, unreliable and independent resulted in him losing the crown, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the respect of his people and his army. Of course, that was Saul, King Saul. It began so well. He was the chosen one. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1 says that King Saul, Saul was chosen by the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Physically and psychologically, he was the most suitable. A handsome young man, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Equipped spiritually, he was the guy, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. Given another heart by God, the Spirit of God possessed him. God now had given Saul different thoughts, feelings, purposes. His heart had been changed by the Spirit of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. All the people loved him. All the people shouted, long live the king. Everything about this guy was promising. And 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 7, they supported him. All the people came out as one man. They were willing to back him all the way. Saul went so, started so well. What went wrong? Gradually over time, he lost his passion for God. His interest in God waned and he became more and more absorbed with his own work and his own popularity. He had great success in military conquests, but he acted disobediently in worship. Once he had a sincere, passionate faith in Yahweh. But over time, he leaned more and more toward Baal. It's interesting that King Saul's first son was named Jonathan, which means Yahweh gave. And yet his children who were born after Jonathan were given names associated with Baal. One of them was Ishbaal which is translated as man of Baal. Well, what did Saul do wrong? 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. He began to lose his popularity and for him, being popular was more important than being faithful to God. Here's the story. The Philistines mustered to fight the Israelites at Michmash. Saul was at Gilgal. And the Israelites were afraid and hid in caves and holes and rocks and cisterns. Verse 8, Saul waited seven days for Samuel to arrive to give the sacrifice because the priest had to give the sacrifice before the battle could begin. But Samuel did not arrive to Gilgal. And here's the key thing. The people began to slip away from Saul. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering to me and the offerings of well-being, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, guess who turns up? Samuel. Samuel arrived. 
Saul went out to meet him and salute him. And Samuel said to Saul, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the people were slipping away from me and that you did not come in the days appointed, I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him to be ruler of his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. Saul was unfaithful, unfaithful to the things of God. He did what he should not have done and he blamed someone else. And for that, his kingdom and crown would be taken away from him. His second error, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Perhaps about 20 years later, the Amalekites who lived in the Negev to the south of Beersheba were the ancient enemies of Israel. And it still rankled in Israel's memory. For God spoke more strongly against the Amalekites than any other of Israel's enemies. And Saul was told to destroy everything. This was a holy war, a religious action. The purpose of the holy war was to frighten the enemy with the terror of God so that they would flee in panic and confusion. The spoil then was to be devoted to Yahweh, to belong to him exclusively. It was a great sin to take anything. Saul again refused to give complete obedience to Yahweh. Samuel had told him, Saul, you are utterly to destroy everything. No man, no woman, no child, no infant, no ox, no sheep, no camel, no donkey is to be kept alive. Well, what did Saul do? He spared King Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and of the fatlings and the lambs, all that was valuable. Who should arrive on the scene? Samuel. Samuel comes up to Saul and he asks him this, what is this, bah, bah, I hear in my ears. What is this, mmm, mmm, that I can hear? What's Saul's response? I've spared the best to sacrifice to the Lord. And then Samuel interrupted Saul and said to him, stop. The Lord told you to utterly destroy everything. You have disobeyed. And then that line, I'm sure we all know it well. It is better to obey than sacrifice. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you this very day and given it to a neighbour of yours who is better than you. What's Saul's second error? He didn't do what he should have done and he blamed someone else because Saul was more concerned about being popular than being faithful. In the process, he'd shown himself to be unfaithful, unreliable, independent. He was spiritually insensitive, proud and irresponsible. And he let his position and power go to his head with no regard for being faithful to the Lord. 
the final rejection was this. God's spirit was taken from him. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Then we get to 1 Samuel 28, verse 15. And I think these are possibly the saddest words in the Bible. Where Saul says this. God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me. What's Saul's problem? He did what he shouldn't have done and he blamed someone else. And then he didn't do what he should have done and he blamed someone else. And as a result, the crown, the kingdom was taken away from him. Even the anointing of the Holy Spirit He ended up committing suicide. Is what you say true? And do you do what you promise? Of course, of all the people who've walked on this earth, Jesus is the most faithful. Jesus is the most faithful. Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is described in this way. Jesus, the rider on the white horse, is given the title faithful and true. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus is called a merciful and faithful high priest. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, these comforting words for us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. The Lord is faithful to his calling on your life and he will do it. The faithfulness of Jesus cannot be questioned because he says what is true and he does what he promises. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told a story about the parable of the talents. In those days, a talent was a sum of money that would be equivalent today to about $400,000. Master going on a journey, some of his slaves. To one, he gave five talents, that's nearly $2 million. To another, two talents, that's $800,000. And to another slave, one talent, Well, the slave who was given five talents, he went away and invested it, made another five talents. The one who was given two talents, he also made another two talents. But the one who was given one talent dug a hole and buried his money. When the master returned, the one who was given five talents showed the master, I now have 10 talents. The one who was given two talents showed the master, I now have four talents. But to the one who was given one talent, the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You ought to have invested the money with bankers. At least you would have received interest. The one talent is to be taken from you and given to the one who started with five talents. Then Jesus says these words, Matthew 25, verse 29. For to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even 
what they have will be taken away. What's Jesus saying to you and me? We need to be faithful with what we're given. If you are faithful with a little, Jesus will give you more. It's true, isn't it? How can we be responsible for thousands of dollars of someone else's money if we cannot even manage the few dollars that we have of our own? Greater responsibility does not change people. It exposes them for who they are. I read this line this week. It's very corny, I know, but it did make me laugh. You can't be faithful at the top if you haven't first been faithful with a mop. Mother Teresa, she said it in this, in this way, be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. It's true, isn't it? How can a person be responsible for a lot if they have been irresponsible with just a little? How can a person be faithful with much if they have been unfaithful with just a little? I had coffee with a friend of mine. He told me a few weeks ago, he said, this generation that's growing up, they all want to be entrepreneurs. I don't know whether that's true or not. They all want to be entrepreneurs. They all want to have their own business, to be in charge of others. But someone, someone at the end of the day is going to have to mop the floor. I also read this. I thought this is an interesting thing. Someone said this, in most organisations, in most organisations, they could dismiss 12% of staff and yet, it would have virtually no effect on the organisation. Well, faithfulness, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, faithfulness. I think for some people, some people are made and they are just in their own being faithful. They're dependable, you can trust them. They're there at the time, ready to pick you up from the airport. They're there, ready at your home when you need to be taken somewhere. But for others, perhaps, they're not naturally faithful. But faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. That means as Christians that we are to bear the fruit of God's faithfulness in our lives, which an unbeliever can never do. The Spirit of Christ living in us means that we show faithfulness to others. The nature of Christ in us enables us to be faithful. And since faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit, then God's, God's faithfulness cannot be produced apart from him. Faithful is he who lives in you. And that means of all the people in the world, Christians should be the most faithful. And we show our faithfulness to God in the relationships that we have with other people. For example, the marriage relationship. Christians are to be faithful in marriage. Husbands are to be faithful to their wives for this is an expression of Christ's love for the church. What about family relationships? 
Christians are to be faithful in the family. If parents say to their children, I'm going to pick you up at such and such a time, pick you up from sport or do something, of course, there are sometimes extenuating circumstances, but on the whole, the parent needs to be there. If the parent doesn't turn up, it won't take long before the child thinks, I cannot trust mum, I cannot trust dad. They tell me that they will be there, but they never arrive. Faithfulness in family relations, in respecting parents, in brothers and sisters helping each other out. Faithfulness to God's church. Every church can only survive because there is an army of volunteers who are committed to give their talents and their time and their skills and their spiritual gifts every week. And much of it perhaps is unseen. Those people who turn up to do those jobs that hardly anyone knows occurs, but we're glad that it happens. What would it be if the musicians didn't turn up two or three weeks in a row? We'd be thinking, well, what's, what is this church? Who is running this place? What if the people at the sound desk, they didn't turn up two or three weeks in a row? We'd be going, well, they're not very faithful to their job, are they? We need to be faithful to our friends. If we borrow something and we promise to return it, we must. If someone tells you something in confidence, we are not to share it with others. Proverbs 11:13. A gossip goes about telling secrets, but the one who is faithful in secret keeps a confidence. What about our work relationships? being faithful in them, turning up on time to work, not taking long lunch breaks, not going from office to office to office, chatting to every work colleague, realising that we have a task to do and that we are to be faithful in that. Of course, we're to be faithful to authorities. Leave your phone alone, stay home, Stop the spread, flatten the curve. We've heard that so many times recently. And we're to be faithful to our calling, to what God wants of us and our lives. We are to demonstrate to a world a quality of life that the world does not possess in order to introduce them to a person who, yet, who does not yet possess them. So let me ask you the question, is what you say true? Do you do what you promise? Those who are faithful are true to their word, keep their confidences, readily forgive, are attentive to detail, handle possessions responsibly and remain so to the end. Is what you say true? And do you do what you promise? Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit, that you do not ask us, Lord, to be faithful in and of ourselves because some of us, Lord, we fail consistently in this area. 
But Lord, we thank you that you've poured your Spirit into us, your Holy Spirit into us. And one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. That depending on you, Lord, trusting in you, we can be faithful. We can say what is true and do what we've promised. So Lord, this coming week I pray, may we be faithful, Lord, not in and of ourselves, but in you, realising, Lord, that your Spirit fills us, that your Spirit manifests himself through us and that we can show a world that does not possess faithfulness, a person who is always faithful, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his precious name we pray. Amen. Now the words of that song are so true. God is incredibly faithful and his heart is that he would be able to live in relationship with you, a personal relationship with you. And you can know a faithful God, His promises in your own life personally. So if you're tuning in this morning to this message, and you sense God speaking to you, you can respond to Him this morning. You can respond to Jesus. He longs for you to experience forgiveness, new life, to experience the blessing of those promises in your own life personally and His peace. And so if you'd like to do that, if you're watching on the Bridgman Live platform, you can just click on the Respond to Jesus button right now. Just click on that as a response to say, yes, God, I wanna be in relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. If you're watching on one of the other platforms, you can email in to prayer at bridgman.org.au or jump onto our website. But I wanna encourage you to respond to God speaking to you this morning, to know Him dwelling in you personally by His Holy Spirit, through all that Jesus has done for us on the cross. You can know that in your own heart. And so I wanna pray, ask God's blessing on each and every one this morning as we close our service. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these words of truth we have heard today. Lord, You are a faithful God. Your promise, You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And I wanna pray this morning for some maybe who have never taken that step of placing their faith and trust in You. Lord, that You'll give them the courage just to respond this morning, that they will take that step. And Lord, I pray Your blessing for each and every person linking in this morning from the youngest to the oldest, great God. May they be aware right now, wherever they're watching in from, Lord, of Your very presence with them, Your love, Your comfort. Oh Lord, Your faithfulness washing over their life, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty and powerful Name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for linking in with us today. Don't forget our service tonight at 6pm as well. And we look forward to connecting with you again really soon. God bless. Thanks for joining with us for our service today. If you sense God speaking to you or you'd like to find out more, we want to help and encourage you on your journey of faith. You can reach out to us via our website or email hello at bridgman.org.au. And don't forget, if you have a prayer need, we'd love to pray for you. And you can fill in a prayer card on our website or email prayer at bridgman.org.au. I'm praying God's blessing for you this week and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.